This time the children may be dismissed for children's church and preschool play and worship. Even if they have to bust directly through the wall to get there. And as they are heading out, if you'll find in your Bible or the Bible in front of you, Hebrews chapter 3. You'll need a Bible in front of you this morning. We're not going to have it on the, the, the projection this morning. So please do find Hebrews chapter 3 in your Bible or your phone or your tablet or the pew Bible in front of you. So we can study God's word together for just a few minutes this morning. I'd like to invite you to pray with me before we delve in. We really need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to God's word. We really need to be able to hear God's voice. So would you bow with me? Father, I don't know if some of your people are like me this morning and just um, minds full of the practical details of life and arrangements and plans and maybe even worries and concerns. It can be really difficult for us to pry our eyes from these things right in front of us to look up and to see you and to behold the glory of Jesus Christ. It can be really hard for us to just settle and to slow down and do that. And I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit this morning, that you would speak clearly and powerfully through your word to us. That for these few moments, while we will all turn our gaze toward you and your word, that you would just do wonders in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for praying with me. Before we read, we're only going to look at six verses this morning, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. I just want to remind you briefly of what we talked about last week. Last week, we studied a passage in chapter 2 that was exhorting us or calling us to pay much more, uh, pay much closer attention to what we have heard from and about Jesus Christ, lest we drift away from it. So the big idea last week was, you will drift away from Jesus Christ. You will drift away unless you are actively and aggressively and on purpose training your mind on Jesus, focusing on him. Docking is the illustration that the Bible uses. You, you can either dock and tie your ship to Jesus Christ often, regularly, consistently, constantly, every day, or you'll drift away. There is no standing still. So really... That verse, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, is sort of the, the thesis of the whole book of Hebrews. The whole book of Hebrews is trying to get us to dock at Jesus, to tie our ship to Jesus and to not drift. The original recipients were Christians who were drifting or, or had drifted away. Not because of great persecution, but just because they got mild and lazy about their faith and the, the regular routines of life. Slowly, that current washing them constantly pulled them away. And that's the great danger for us. So we want to dock. We do not want to drift. And this passage in Hebrews is really just a continuation of that idea. And it's a couple of practical ways to dock. So what we're going to have in front of us today are really two ways, two tools in each of your hands that you can use to avoid drifting. should be very practical today. So let's read it together, and then we'll sort of work through it. And you can remain seated this morning 
because I may end up explaining things as I go, as I read. Hebrews chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. We're very thankful that we have God's word to read and study this morning. So I want to give you these two tools, one in each hand, to avoid drifting. Okay, and the first one is remembrance. Remember who you are. Okay, tool number one, uh, think, of you, think of yourself picking this up with your, your left hand. Remembering who you are is the first tool given here in this passage to avoid drifting to dock. Look back at the first part of verse one. It says, therefore, which again, whenever you see therefore, you need to glance back up and remember what it's there for. Therefore is saying, based on what I just said, this. So if you were to glance back up, you would see that he had just finished talking about how Jesus came down in the form of a human being so that he could experience temptation like we do, so that he could experience suffering like we do, so that he could be a, a merciful and sympathetic high priest for us, and so that he could die for our sins, pay for our sins, kill death, and the one who has power over death, the devil himself. So based on this awesome, awesome stuff that Jesus has done for us by becoming human, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. Now, why do you suppose the Holy Spirit prompted the writer of Hebrews to put in a little address right there? You know, if I were talking to you in casual conversation, or if I'm talking to Elias, let's say, and I'm just, I'm explaining something to him. If I were to pause in the midst of that and say, therefore, based on what I just said, you, my son, Elias David Broadway, it, clearly there's significance there. There's a reason he knows he's, he knows who he is, right? There's a reason God is sort of grabbing us by the shoulders and looking us in the eyes right now. And he's saying, holy brothers or sisters. You who share in a heavenly calling. I think part of the reason we drift as Christians is because we forget who we are in Christ. I think this is a, just a warm fatherly moment between God and us this morning where he's saying to you, remember who you are. You're holy. Holy means primarily separate or different. If you being holy means that God plucked you up from what would be considered common and put in a different category, what would be considered sacred. Now, the difference between holy and unholy at the core of their meaning isn't so much between like, it really isn't so much at the core of it between sinless perfection and sinfulness. It does mean that, 
But when you break it down to the real basis of it, it means set apart and common. So in the old days of Israel, you know, you'd have the holy place. That was a place set apart. It was not a common place. Uh, many, of, many of you feel that way about the church sanctuary, that this should be treated as a holy place. Uh, you know, Meredith and I try to keep our kids from running around in the sanctuary and jumping over pews. Not because running and jumping is evil, but because this is a separate place. This is a different kind of place. We want to, when we walk in here, to remember what we're doing is different. Okay, now it, that's getting into a whole other subject because this isn't actually the temple anymore. We're the temple. But the idea is you are holy. Like a holy day is different and separate from a regular day. You are different and separate from regular people who don't have God. In other words, you're special. Did your parents ever tell you that? You're special. That, you know, when your parents tell you that, they just mean you're special to me. Because in reality, if everybody's special, nobody's special. But what God's saying here is sort of, you are special. I picked you. I, I separated you. I called you unto myself. You're holy. You're holy and your family. He says, therefore, holy brothers. And the Bible, you know, it's translated brothers, but it means basically siblings. It's brothers, sisters. Okay, you are not a loose association of people with a shared interest. You are brothers and sisters. Whether you like it or not, whether you realize that's what you're signing up for when you became a Christian or not, you are a brother and a sister in Christ. I know I've told you this many times. It's the one illustration that always comes to mind. My grandfather, who's passed away now, longed for us to go to our family reunions, the Broadway family reunion. Man, he made us feel so guilty about it. Anytime I saw him, it was all, apparently, it seemed like we had family reunions every week. And he was always telling me, you'd missed the reunion last week. Everybody was wondering where you were. I don't know why they were wondering. I haven't, I've never been to one. I don't know why they would have expected me to be there. But he guilted me, he guilted my brother and his family, and my dad. You know, we just never made it a priority. And I'm not putting a value on that. I'm not saying that's good or bad. That's just the way it was. We didn't go. And I never understood why he so much wanted us to go to these reunions. I mean, yes, we're family, but I don't know those people. These distant cousins, they don't know me. I can barely keep up with my close friends and the people that I do know. Much less, you know, take a whole day and go hang out with these other Broadways. Broadways aren't even that much fun to hang out with to begin with. But as a pastor, I feel like I get it more. And as a, as a father now, I think I would be sad if, you know, generations passed by and uh, my children lost interest in um, like my brother and his family or my children's children, my grandchildren, if they had no interest in my brother's grandchildren. And those, I think I can understand that now because family belongs together and every Sunday really is a family reunion and every Sunday the empty pews kind of break my heart a little bit I understand how my grandfather felt and it's not that those who aren't with us attending on a Sunday are you know committing the grave eternal sin of not attending church it's we're family we need to come together. We need to stick together. We got to be together. We're holy. We're a family, but we're more than just a family. He says, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. 
holy brothers, holy separated family, you who share or participate or who are partners in a heavenly calling. Now, some of you have family that also you work with, okay? That's a whole other level of partnership. You, you're, when you're part of a family, you're born into a family, you're passive in that. You're just, you're born into it. You didn't ask for it. There you are. Okay. When you start to build an enterprise together as a family and you start to partner together in some endeavor that requires a great deal of effort, that's another level. That's another level. If, if I were to go into business with my brother, my brother's name is Aaron. I don't know how that would go. I really don't. He is very type A um, and very, um, I don't, what's the word? Not impulsive, but maybe decisive is the more positive way to put it. He drives things along. I remember when we would try to play a board game when I was a kid, mom and I would be playing sorry out on the porch or something, just having fun playing sorry. And Aaron would come out on his way to doing something else and be like, I want to play. And we wouldn't be going fast enough. So he would start moving our pieces for us. And eventually it was just Aaron playing and we were just sitting there watching. So, you know, I'm not in business with my brother. But if we were, we would be brothers and we'd be partners. Okay. As a Christian, you are a brother with everyone you see around you. You are a sister with everyone you see around you. And you are a partner with everyone you see around you. Okay. And that's more. That's, that's a dual layer relationship. Okay. And what it means to be a partner is where you go or as you go, we all go. Anybody ever see the movie Backdraft? I love to bring up old, like, 80s and 90s movie references. Judy's usually with me. Backdraft is one of these old movies that I had on VHS tape, the TV version recorded on VHS tape where you had to fast-forward through the commercials. Did you guys do that? Well, I did. Um, It's this movie about firefighters and, you know, their team and their partners. And a couple times in the movie, one of them gets in trouble. I remember one scene... They're fighting a blaze in this huge like warehouse and the floor gives way beneath one of them. And, you know, the guy grabs him, but is pulling him into the hole as well. And everybody grabs the, his legs and they're all falling into the hole. And the guy dangling says, just let go of me. You're all going to die if you don't let go of me. And, he's, and he says, you go, we go. And that's sort of the, the motto of the movie. You go, we go. Because they're partners. It's just like those buddy cop movies, you know, partners. That's what we are. And again, it's not that we should be partners. I'm not telling you, you ought to be more like a partner. You are partners. We're partnered. Okay. And as I go, you go. As you go, we all go. You start to drift. We all start to drift. You tie tight onto Jesus Christ. We all get tied tighter onto Jesus Christ. There is no isolated Christian. And your decisions don't just affect you. They affect all of us for better or for worse. We're set apart. We're holy. We're different. We're brothers and sisters. And we're partners sharing a heavenly calling. Heavenly calling. This is, this is big language. This is um, majestic language. We're not just partnered together trying to make a church work. We share in a, in a cosmic, eternal calling. 
that transcends everything else that we do. I feel that I was called into ministry and that I am called to be your pastor. Now, that didn't happen through any any audible voice. In fact, it, it slipped up on me slowly. But as I look back at how the Lord orchestrated events and where he put me and, and the relationships he put me in, I really think he called me to be here. Okay, and in a similar way, he called you to be here. You are called every bit as much as I am. We have different functions within the body, but we all have functions within the body. We have slightly different callings, but we all have heavenly callings. And it's not individual heavenly callings that operate independently from one another. It's one big heavenly calling that takes all these different expressions. And we're all called up in it together as brothers. We're all called up in it together as sisters. We're all called up in it together as partners. It's beautiful. It's awesome. It's, it's an adventure. It's, it's profoundly fulfilling. Bible talks about us as ambassadors, as saints, as Jesus's body. It calls us to be mentors, evangelists, ministers to one another. It tells us that the Holy Spirit has equipped us with gifts to fulfill our individual callings within the one calling, the one heavenly calling, to trust and follow Jesus Christ and to worship God and serve people by making disciples. That is who you are. That is who you are. When you look in the mirror in the morning, that face you see, that is the face of a holy brother or a holy sister who is a partner in a heavenly calling with all the other Christians in the world and all throughout history. That's huge. That's huge. And that's your identity. And it's when we forget that, that we begin to drift. It's when we begin to believe that our identity is just a guy or a gal, just a dad or a mom, just a husband or a wife, just a business owner or an employee, period. We begin to believe that we are people who may drift, that it's an option. But the fact is, it's not an option. We've been recruited. Our identity is those who dock. Our identity is those who tie tight to Jesus. Okay, so there, that's your left hand. Okay, that's a heavy tool. That's something you're going to have to think about. Okay, but it's a strong tool to help you dock and to help you not drift. Remember who you are. Remember who you are as a Christian. Okay, the second one you're going to grab with your right hand, considering Jesus. Remembering who you are in Jesus, considering who Jesus is. Okay, read with me the second half of verse 1 through verse 2. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him. Just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Now, that all may not make perfect sense to you yet, like why he's talking about Moses, but just look at the first two words of it. Consider Jesus. That word consider is an intensive word. It, it means put your thinking cap on. C.S. Lewis has a quote that I'm about to butcher mercilessly, but he, C.S. Lewis, you've probably heard me quote him before. He did not like uh, devotional books. He found very little help in devotional books. You know, like uh, Jesus Calling, many of you used, or uh, My Utmost for His Highest is one that I grew up using. 
C.S. Lewis didn't get much out of those. He got a lot out of working through theology. Now, that may not sound immediately uh, desirable to you, but I think he's on to something. And he has a quote where he says, Many Christians who feel nothing uh, when they read devotional works would be moved to great heights of joy working through a bit of theology with a pipe in their teeth and a pencil in their hand. You know, he's English and lived, you know, a while back. I like that image of a pipe in the teeth, a pencil in the hand, a desk rather than, you know, out in a meadow. It's not, it's not transcendental meditation that we're after. It's thought, it's thinking, it's clarity, it's, it's work mentally. It's, it's not meant to be easy. It's, it's, it's not easy to understand the divine, but it's glorious. The, the endeavor is glorious. You know, our kids have gotten into um, the, the buddy movies. You know, there was Air Bud about the dog. I think he played basketball. And then I guess that was such a smash success that they came up with a billion sequels, including these buddies movies where it's, I guess, Air Bud's puppies. I actually haven't sat down and watched very many of these, um, but the kids have loved watching them. And apparently one of them is like a Buddhist or something. Uh, Elias was telling me about one of the, the puppies was like meditating. And he was asking me about that. And I was trying to explain to him, meditation is really good. And it's really important. But the way they do it is completely different from the way God tells us to do it. It's not trying to empty your mind and find your inner self. It's trying to fill your mind jam-packed with thoughts about God himself. It's trying to chase down something mentally. It's trying to take a promise or a truth or an aspect of God's character and tease out all the implications. What does that mean? What does that mean for how I live? What does that mean for this problem I'm facing? That's what this word consider is talking about. Consider Jesus. Okay, so get your pipe in your teeth, your pencil in your hand, I realize I'm nerdier than most of you guys, that that excites me maybe more than it does to you, but it's good. So he gives us a couple, throws a couple of logs into the fire right off the bat for our consideration of Jesus. He says, consider Jesus the apostle, so apostle and high priest of our confession. So apostle and high priest of our confession. What he means by confession is just what we believe as Christians, our religion, okay? Jesus is the capital A apostle and the capital H and P high priest of Christianity. Now, you don't usually hear the term apostle applied to Jesus. It's usually applied to those who heard Jesus teach and then went and spread that teaching on to other people. It basically just means messenger, envoy. Um, it's, it's someone sent with a message, Okay. This actually, I believe, is the only place in the Bible where Jesus is called the apostle. But the big idea as you start to consider Jesus as apostle is it means that he is the one that brought God's word to us. He is the representative from God to us. Okay, so get that clicked over here. Uh, use your pencil and put that there and shift your pipe over. And Now think about high priest. The high priest in Jewish Tradition was sort of the top guy, the, the one who could make the most important sacrifices, go into the, the holiest places. The high priest is the one that represents man to God. So you have apostle is God coming to man, 
giving his word to man, reaching out to man. You can picture Michelangelo's um, creation of man on the Sistine Chapel where God's like reaching down. That's apostles is, is moving that direction from God to man. High priest is the one standing in man's camp and representing man for God. So the high priest is bringing man up to God. So in Jesus, we have both. One of the commentators I read called him the golden link. The golden link between the divine and the human is Jesus Christ. He is the apostle, the high priest in one man. Now to help. No, I'm not going to do that. Okay, just consider that. I just realized what time it is and I've got a little ways to go. So consider that if you are writing, write down to look up sometime Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 through 22. Because it sort of takes this idea of Jesus as apostle, high priest, golden link. and just sort of stretches it out and gives you a lot of detail. Okay, we're not going to go there today though. So consider Jesus as the apostle and high priest of our confession. Who was faithful to him who appointed him? Just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. So apostle and high priest idea, put that over there. Now he's faithful. The word faithful means trustworthy, reliable. Okay, consider how trustworthy and reliable Jesus is for a few moments. This word faithful is sort of the key word in the, in the text. I'm going to read verses 2 through the beginning of 6 and try to count how many times you hear the word faithful. Okay. So we're considering Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. So faithfulness is mentioned four times in just five, six verses. Four verses, actually. This is important to what God is trying to speak to us today. Jesus is trustworthy. Jesus is reliable. Now, some of you may, if you follow me on Facebook, you may have seen that I got to go do a high ropes course yesterday at the Whitewater Rafting Center. It was really cool, really fun. Have you ever done a high ropes course? Okay, we'll take a church. Okay, the next big gathering is going to be to the high ropes course. Um, I, this is not my unusual thing, and I don't like heights. I'm not a big fan of heights. That's why I don't like roller coasters. Many of you, the youth in the past, have wanted me to take you to Carowinds, and I've been hesitant because I know you're going to try to pressure me to get on the Intimidator, and I'm not going to. I'm intimidated by it. But... I did the ropes course and, um, you know, there's, there's part of one that we did toward the end of the day that's over a ravine. And so here's the ravine and the ropes are up here. So you start out and you're like right here and it's pretty high. And then you, you move along and it gets harder right when it gets higher. And so you're, you're over this and you're, you think you're going to be so athletic and you're going to be really tackling this thing. Or at least I thought, I guess that I would. But you're like wobbling all over the place. You have no control over yourself or your bodily functions. It's really scary. But when you first start, the, the little teenage attendant there straps you with all these 
these cords and carabiners and stuff to the, the main line. Okay, so you have this strap, this sturdy strap to your chest. Okay, so even though this was just a little teenage guide, you know, maybe 17, who has my life in his hands like a small bird, even though he's just a teenager, not someone I would normally entrust my life to, even though I don't consider myself much of an acrobat, I don't really trust myself over uh, how, how many feet? I, what do you think? Chris came to 3,000 foot drop. Okay. <laughs> Maybe a hundred foot drop. I would not normally put myself in a position where I'm trying to hang on to ropes over a hundred foot drop. But I had this, this tether. I had this tether that I knew without any doubt in my mind was trustworthy and reliable. And so I went out and did that thing. I would never have done it without that. Okay, that, that trustworthiness, that's the idea scripture means when it talks about Jesus being faithful. He is in our lives when we're out in all these precarious situations over these seemingly dangerous drops. He is the tether. He's reliable. You can trust him. You're not going to plummet to your death. You have Jesus, the faithful one. How faithful is he? Well, think of the most trustworthy person you know. I want you really to try to think, if you had to pick one person, one person to put your life in their hands for some reason, picture who it would be. Okay? As faithful, as trustworthy as that person is, Jesus is infinitely more so. And that's why the passage starts talking about Moses. In case you were wondering. See, the Jewish people, Moses was the guy. He was the hero of the faith. So the author's not trying to put Moses down. He's trying to say, as great as Moses is, as faithful as he was, Jesus is way above that. So he goes on, and, and I'll breeze over it now for the sake of time, but you can read it more later and maybe discuss it at house to house. But the point is, Moses was faithful as a part of the house. Jesus is faithful and trustworthy as the builder of the house. So whoever that person is that you trust more than anybody else in the world, they're just a building supply in Jesus' hands. Jesus made that person. Jesus put that person in your life. So how much greater is Jesus? How much more worthy of glory and honor is Jesus than even that wonderful person you have in your mind? And then another comparison between a son and a servant you know, that person that, that you trust so deeply in your life, they are like a servant in God's house. Jesus is the son, which means he's going to inherit everything. He has all the authority. He has all the power. So you get the idea. So the two tools here, remembering who you are, a holy brother, sister, partnered together in a heavenly calling, considering who Jesus is, remembering that he is the golden link between us and God himself, the faithful golden link, the link that will hold you up like that rope held me over the rope course. Now, finally, I have to get to the last part of this. Finally, look at the, the very last thing at the end of verse 6. And we are his house, or in other words, we are God's people, we are Christians, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Okay, 
This is a big, meaty thing to tackle, but I feel like I must. So, so stick with me for a bit. We are his if. We are his if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. At first glance, this may make it sound as though a Christian can lose his or her salvation. It may sound as if I'm saying, you're God's so long as you hold on. But if you don't, you're no longer God's. You're a Christian so long as you hold fast, but if you let go, you've lost it. But I don't actually think that's what he means. If you'll notice, this isn't a command like consider Jesus was a command. This is an implication. And that's different from a command. He's not telling you, hold on. He's saying, if you are God's, you will hold on. See, I almost put hold fast as a third tool, but it's not a tool in this passage. It's an implication of using these rightly. If you truly are a holy brother or sister, called out, set apart, given a heavenly calling, partnered with all other believers, holding fast to the golden link that will never let you go, if these things are true, then you will hold on. You will hold fast. Therefore, if you do not hold fast, it proves that these were never true. Those who drift need to beware because if you are comfortable drifting far from Christ, you are most likely not a Christian. If you are comfortable drifting, if you are comfortable justifying your own sin, if you are comfortable knowing that your heart is far from Christ, if you're comfortable If you're comfortable with that, you need to beware because the one proof that you are a Christian is that at the end, you will have held fast the whole time. It's not that when you let go, you cease to become a Christian. It's that when you let go and you fall away and you keep falling away and you're gone, you never were. It is a huge red flag, huge red flag when we can drift without God disciplining us as sons and daughters. It ought to terrify us. You know, the Christian life is not lived in these spurts of church attendance and involvement and then gone for a long time. And then church attendance and involvement and then gone for a long time. Christian life is this ongoing endurance It's this consistent, ongoing endurance. And the scary thing about it is, I don't know who's a Christian in my flock. The Bible teaches that one of the things Satan does to thwart God's plans is to sow tares in with the wheat. And and the wheat and the tares is just sort of a weed. They grow up together and they look the same and you don't know what's what. So you just have to let it grow up at the same time. And then in the end, Jesus is going to come and he's going to thresh it all out. And then we'll know. And it's those who have endured to the end. 
Holding fast is not the action that you need to pursue. It's the outcome of remembering who you are and what Jesus has already done for you. So if you find yourself unable to hold fast, don't, don't scramble to, to try to grab onto some church stuff, to try to grab onto something to soothe your conscience. Consider Jesus Christ. Consider his faithfulness. Consider his calling on your life. Have you experienced those things? It may be that you never have. For those of us who who know that we are part of the holy brethren, who have experienced that call, that heavenly call, that separation, who though we may begin to drift are always brought back, and you will begin to drift, but God's firm disciplinary hand brings you back, we need to to take up these tools of remembering who we are in our identity and considering who Jesus is in his identity. We need to live with these in both hands. And in so doing, we will never drift. We won't drift away. We'll be able to hold fast. So I'd like to just pray for us that God would make these things plain, especially that last point. These are the things where we need our pipe and our teeth and the pencil in our hand. We need to think here. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, please clarify anything that I made unclear or got tangled up. Or more than anything, I ask that you would enable us to see clearly who we are. If we are yours or if we're not. Help us to see clearly who Jesus is. And for any among us who has not received that call, maybe now is the time. I pray that you would do that saving work in the hearts of any in that position right now. For those who maybe have been drifting, maybe this is your firm disciplinary hand bringing them back right now. Help us to remember who we are in Christ and help us to remember who Jesus is. It's in his name we pray. Amen.